Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning again, church. How are we doing now? Doing good? Waking up? All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, hey, real quick, you know, regardless of if, uh, if Brian comes here or not, can we just appreciate him real quick for making the trip? Thank you. Um, we, are, uh, we are cranking through this series that we're walking through in, in the book of Mark. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 today, if you want to flip your Bibles open or click your Bibles open to Mark chapter 8. But real quick, we've got, we've got two Sundays left in this series. We've got this week and we have next week left in this half of the series, is largely what I should say. We are going to finish the book of Mark, but for the month of August, we are, we're going to take a, a break. We're going to take a pause, and we're going to do a deep dive uh, into uh, a new series that we, we're calling, we did it last year as well, called Love Where You Live. Um, and uh, this series is largely geared at service, because that's what we as Christians are called to do, right? How are we serving people in a very real way? I mean, how are we serving the world? If you didn't know, that's what we do. Just walk out into the lobby and look on either wall. It's in like 40,000 font up there um, on, on the wall. And that's what we're called to do. We're called, we're called to serve. We're called to love people. Um, and, uh, and, and so that's coming up. I hope you're excited about it. But last year, um, because you guys were so gracious in your giving, we ended with a, a pretty hefty overage at the end of the year, which was really, really exciting. And so when that happens, we get to now be strategic with that money afterwards. Um, and so what we did with it is we said, we're going to earmark a portion of it for outreach into our community for this year. And so part of it will be used for love where you live, and another part of it will be used for something fun we're going to be doing um, near near Christmas time. Um, but, but so what we did is we broke down four weeks in August and we said, we're going to serve different members of our community every single week in August. We're going to focus on different ones. So week one, we're focusing on teachers in schools, right? Because we love teachers. We love school. School is starting up. And so, uh, one of the things that we're going to, going to be doing is we're sponsoring a school district, just teachers and staff, anybody who's on staff at that district, we are going to, or at the school site, excuse me, not district, school site, um, is we're going to feed all of the teachers, all of the staff, uh, during one of their in-service days. Real simple, real easy to just say, hey, we appreciate you. We love you. We know school is difficult. We know teaching is difficult. Here's a small token of our, uh, our appreciation. And then also that week, uh, we are partnering with Refuge House, and uh, Armona School District has an open house right across the street um, from, where, from, from a park. And so at that park, we're going to sponsor what we're calling Party in the Park. And um, as kids are coming and going and parents are coming and going and that sort of thing, uh, we're going to have snow cones and bounce houses and just this free party in the park for all of those kids who are largely kind of right around the corner from us that, that we don't focus on and we don't, we don't tend to, um, to, to go that way when you turn out of the parking lot. Most of us turn right as we go out of the parking lot. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to do that for week one. Uh, week two, um, we are, uh, we're going to be serving um, first responders in some way. Our hope would be that we can identify um, a family or a couple families who are dealing with the wildfires that are burning so crazily right now and support the families of those people uh, in some way. So we're still identifying that. Week three, we're going to be uh, serving some of the underprivileged in our ag community. It's We Love Agriculture and recognizing that there are people in our agriculture, people who make our economy go, who need to be shown the love of Jesus in a very real way. So we'll be focusing on them. Week three, and then week four, we're going to focus on, uh, on NAS Lemoore, and we're doing two things for NAS Lemoore. One, we're doing Parents Night Out. So what that means is we'll have 
We'll have uh, childcare here for a couple of hours. They can come, drop off their kids, go on a date, go take a nap, whatever. We don't care. No strings attached, but we just want them to know that, hey, let us be grandma and grandpa for you because we know grandma and grandpa most likely aren't very close. So let us take care of your kids for a little bit of time. You go do your thing. And the same time, we also recognize that at NAS Lemoore, there's a whole lot of single folks who are out there. And on Fridays and Saturday nights, they, man, they just kind of sit in their rooms and play video games and do that sort of thing. So Jeff and I put on our youth pastor hats and decided to nerd out. And so we're going to do our best to blow the walls off of uh, a, a dodgeball tournament right in here um, and uh, with headbands and referee shirts and gift cards and dinner and all of those different things for them. And if no one shows up, then Jeff and I are going to have a great time um, because <laughs> we're pumped about it. Um, and so anyway, so those are going to be the four weeks in August. So some very practical ways that you can sign up for those. Um, uh, you can look at the app. There's a couple on them right now. The biggest need right now is party in the park. So if you're looking for a place to serve in a very real hands-on way, do us a favor, sign up for party in the park. And um, if not, we'll, we'll hit you up to serve in some other way. But that being said, Mark chapter 8. Okay, here we go. Mark chapter 8 uh, is where we're at, and you can, you can, you can get open to that. I want to tell you a little bit about my vacation uh, this week. I, I told you guys last week that after service, I was going to get to the beach as efficiently as possible, right? So the good news was it was as efficient as possible. One stop, but it was a mandatory stop, and the only reason it's mandatory is because I needed to stop. Um, and so... So we got through to the beach, and man, it was a great vacation. We, we do this vacation every year. It's down in, in, in Oxnard in Southern California. We have got close family friends um, who, uh, whose parents own a beach house down there, and so we go every year for a few days. And, and one of the reasons they're so close is because we have, they also have three kids, all of whom are boys, all of whom are under the age of 13. I saw some of you shaking your heads. Yeah, it's pandemonium. There, are, there were eight boys between the ages of five and 13 living in a 1,500 square foot house with two sets of parents in there as well. Um, and so we would shut them in a room at night and then we would open that door and just get punched in the face by the stench. Like it was one of those... Uh, times, but it was great, and it was one of those vacations where you just get to just like melt into the sand, right? You're just like, man, this is great. This is so relaxing. This is so good. I wish I could be on vacation like this all of the time, and sometimes we get sucked into that idea, right? Like, man, if we could, if I could just throw my, my lawn chair into the sand, take off my shoes, and just listen to waves for the rest of my life, I would be okay. I would be happy. I actually had a friend who, uh, who went to Westmont down in Santa Barbara for college. And I asked him and while he was down there, I just said, hey, are you thinking about staying in Santa Barbara um, after, after college? And the answer, for whatever reason, stuck with me. He said, I can't live in Santa Barbara because every day in Santa Barbara is, uh, is vacation. Every single day in, in Santa Barbara is vacation. Everyone's just kind of looking for, for more comfort there and more relaxation there. And, and, you know, the wealthiest of the wealthy live up in Montecito. I mean, Oprah lives there. So you know for a fact, like, okay, this is where wealthy people go to just be, be comfortable. And while I think comfort like that is fine in doses and going on vacation and doing some of those things, the Christian faith is not a faith where we are called to be comfortable. So I'm just going to give you a heads up right now. This message is not a fun message. <laughs> so if you're offended by not fun messages, sorry. You can take a break next week because you're, you're here already. Um, and if you walk out now, everybody's going to judge you. Um, 
But, but, but the Christian faith, it's not a faith that we're, where we're called to be comfortable. And seeking comfort is everywhere in America. Like, that's what we are, we are packaged as. Like, it's how we run our lives. It's all of our goals. It's why America is one of the most wealthy nations in the entire world, but has the largest amount of people with both anxiety and depression, right? Because we are constantly seeking more and seeking more comfort. We weren't created for comfort in life to be our end game, but it has largely become the goal, and I don't know what it is for you, but I think about some of these comforts that we, we strive for, right? We, we work longer hours in hopes of making a little bit more money so we can just be a little bit more comfortable at the end of the day. You know, families can be forsaken for the padding of, of 401ks, or maybe it's something even simpler than that. You're like, I don't want to do all of the hard work of making coffee in the morning, so I'll pay somebody $5 when the cost of it is 10 cents to make it for me, just so I can be a little bit more comfortable in, in, during, during the day. Or some ridiculous things even, right? Like, we are America, the land who created the Snuggie. You guys remember the Snuggie? Okay, the blanket with armholes because it was too much work for us to take our arm over the blanket and grab popcorn like that, you needed armholes to get straight to the popcorn in that way, right? Like, like creature comforts, even on Amazon the other day, I was looking, you can buy a foot hammock for your airplane rides to make your airplane rides more comfortable. So you put it over the little tabletop thing and then your feet can extend out so you're more comfortable on your flight. And it was like 17 bucks. I was like, are you joking me right now? Like, you could use your belt and do the same thing if you were really hard up for a foot hammock, you know what I mean? But that's just who we are. Like, we live for comfort because if we can just be comfortable, maybe life won't be that hard. And we have been sold that lie over and over and over again. And like I said before, I don't think, I don't think the issue is that that's all we want is comfort. I think the issue is that we weren't created to be comfortable, we were created to glorify God in our lives, every single facet of our lives. And this is what Jesus has to say about it. Largely, it's going to be in Mark 8, and we're going to start in verse 27. So we're going to read through it, and then we're going to go back through and kind of hash it out, okay? So Mark 8, 27 through 38, it said, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it? For someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. 
So it goes back and, and it starts in, in verse 27. So Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're, they're cruising around the villages of, of Caesarea Philippi, right? And Jesus has most recently been at a location known as Bethsaida back in, in uh, uh, chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. And that's a town kind of north of the Sea of Galilee right there. And so now they're traveling to Caesarea Philippi. That's going to be 25 miles further north of this town. Okay, so they are traveling upwards north at the, it's at the foot of Mount Hermon, for those of you geography nerds in here. And so this is incredibly far north. And this moment, this time of them traveling around in Caesarea Philippi is going to be a major turning point in this ministry. He has been working in Galilee. Okay, Galilee is a relatively friendly place where all the crowds want to come in. They want to see him. They want to see his miracles, teach us stuff. Man, we've never heard anybody teach with that kind of authority before. Like this, all of those things are happening in, in Galilee, a friendly place, healing, teaching. But now he's going to begin from this point on, he's going to begin his, his trek, his journey southward towards Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, remember, is going to be the center of opposition to him and the place where Jesus is going to eventually die. So this is like halfway through the book of Mark right now, turning point in the ministry. And so it uses a really interesting phrase. It says the phrase, on the way. Okay, well, the question begs the question, then what are they on the way to? You know, a, a normal reading of it would say, oh, yeah, of course, they're on their way to Caesarea Philippi. But most scholars believe that from this point forward, any time that Mark uses the phrase on the way, the Greek is slightly different when this on the way versus others. Anytime they use it, he's actually talking about that Jesus is on the way to the cross, on the way to his, to his death, on the way to his crucifixion. So on the way to his crucifixion, Jesus asks an, an incredibly important question. He says, who do people say that I am? Now, if you and I were to ask that question, it might come off a little bit arrogant, right? Like, hey, what are people, what are people saying about me, right? Who do people, who do people say that, that, that I am personally? Uh, this isn't what Jesus is after right now, right? This isn't Jesus like Googling himself to see what kind of notoriety he's gotten or anything like that. This is Jesus trying to figure out like, where are people's heads with my identity? Where do people, like, who do people believe that I actually Am. And so Jesus uses this as a teaching moment to answer him. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say that you're one of the prophets, right? Earlier, this same kind of question comes up. He's, he's performing miracles back in Mark chapter 6, it's verses 14 and 15. And people are like guessing, like, who is this guy? And it's the same list of people, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the, one of the prophets. And so people think of Jesus not as the Messiah at this point. They don't think, they do not think this guy is, is the Messiah. They think that he is a great man, like a great man of their history. Uh, who do you say, oh man, you're George Washington, right? Or like whoever, fill in the blank from our history. And that's kind of what they're doing here because they have some really preconceived notions about who the Messiah should be, who the savior of the world actually should be. And Jesus, he doesn't fit that mold, right? All of them are kind of disappointed in Jesus as the Messiah, as it were. Hey, they think of the Messiah as David's successor. If you've read the Old Testament, you know, like King David, golden era of Israel. Like, like he was, the, everybody looked back to him as that's the standard that we hold to. If David's not the Messiah, it's definitely going to be a dude like David, right? A, guy, a king, a, like a God king, essentially. Who's, they, they want somebody who's going to drive out the Romans in the same way that, you know, David killed Goliath. 
They want this big, like, emperor reigning Messiah to come to reestablish Israel's, Israel's glory, to reestablish Israel's power, and usher in, like, this new golden age for the Jews. Like, that's their hope for the Messiah. So when Jesus comes, and every single time a crowd comes around him, he's like, you know what? I'm out, right? Like, that's not the best, the best mode for a leader to gain a following, and so, so they are disappointed in this, and so their answers to this kind of reflect that idea of, you know what, you're actually not the Messiah. Ah, no, you're not quite there. Like, you're cool, we like you, but you're not the Messiah that we really, really want. So Jesus then, he personalizes the question right after that. And it, this is, again, this is an emphatic question. He asks them, who do you say that I am? You personally, who do you personally say that I am? Not like, hey, who... Tell me what people are saying. No, who do you say that I am? And if, if you were here when we introduced the book of Mark, I told you that Peter's nickname tends to be the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth, right? He's the guy who always talks without speaking. And because of that, he largely chokes on his foot oftentimes, right? All the time, that's just who he, like, uh, he seems like a very emotional guy. And I want to say the right thing and please people and all of that stuff. And so this time, right, uh, uh, impetuous and impulsive Peter gets all excited and he professes that Jesus is indeed the long promised Messiah and man I bet he was so pumped when, when Jesus was like yep man Peter would have had so many gold stars on his uh, cloak um, but but since Mark chapter 1 the beginning of Mark chapter 1 this is the first time that we are going to see Jesus referred to as the Christ Jesus referred to as the Messiah and so this is a really really big deal especially in connection to Jesus in this gospel this is a big deal but then Jesus begins to explain things to his disciples he tells the disciples guys just remember Yes, I'm the Messiah. Don't tell anybody about this, but I got to do a lot of suffering, actually, on the way to going to the cross. Like, it's necessary that I kind of proceed to, to suffering, to be tried and found guilty by, by the religious leaders, the elders, the high priests, to be killed, and then after three days, I'll, I'll rise again. So he's telling this to all of his followers, these followers who have left everything that they do to follow this guy. And Jesus is like, hey, cool, yes, you got it right, I'm the Messiah. Let me tell you what that means. That means that, that as we are going along, like, I'm going to die pretty soon, guys. Like, that's not exactly a rallying cry for people to be excited about following somebody, right? They're like, hey, yeah, that's the Messiah. He's going to die soon. Let's pledge our entire life to that guy. I mean, yeah, he's not going to be around very much longer, but... And so as soon as Peter hears this, like he immediately backs away and, and Peter rebukes Jesus, which FYI, never a good plan, right? Like if that's your plan A of like, you know what, I'm offended by this, I'm going to go rebuke Jesus, bad call. And so Peter decides that he's going to rebuke Jesus and it's funny because right away it says, and Jesus then talked to his disciples and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's, that would not be on my top 10 list of things to hear out of Jesus' mouth either, Right? And so Jesus' words, they kind of shatter this, this glamour of following this long-expected Messiah, right? Like these guys we talked about a couple weeks ago, and they were pumped to be able to follow someone with some notoriety. These are fishermen. These are guys who just are normal people, people like you and I, who don't have, you know, this massive platform, who, you know, aren't going to get super famous or anything like that. Maybe you will. I don't know. I hope so. Um, 
but, but they're just normal people like us. And so they get this, this notoriety. They have, they have hitched their wagon to the right horse, right? Like, this is Jesus. You are the Messiah. Awesome. This is going to be so great. Wait, you're, 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 like, you are pulling us towards death now is what you're telling me? Like, I don't know if this is the horse that I actually want to get, to get hooked up to. Like, it was, it was ludicrous, the idea that the Messiah, the promised Messiah of the Jewish faith, was going to be someone who just came and died at the hand of his oppressors. No Jewish person would have thought that way. Like who in their right mind chooses the idea of, of, of persecution, chooses the idea of proceeding towards, towards suffering is the way that it says. Like it's a pretty easy question for any of us, right? Like if I gave you the option, you can live a life without persecution or you can live a life with persecution. Like all of us are gonna be like, you know what, I'm gonna take option A. I'm going to live that life without, without any persecution. Like who in their right mind wants to follow a leader on his way to die? And so Jesus continues to teach his disciples about what this is really all going to mean. He said, anyone who intends to come with me, kind of you, you have to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering embrace it, right? This is the, uh, like the upside down gospel that we talk about all the time. Like uh, everything that Jesus taught is always counterculture. It's always upside down to what things seem to make sense both now as well as, as well as then. So don't run from suffering, embrace it. If you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and, and follow me. Follow me. I'll show you how to do it. And he's saying, like, self-help, that's not actually help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way that I am leading you. My way to saving yourself, to saving your true self, is take up your cross and follow me. And he tells, like, what good would it, would it do to get everything you want and lose the real you, use, lose the, the real thing that actually matters in your life? What could you ever trade your own soul for? that would be worth it. And so Jesus' words don't go over well with Peter. They don't go well, obviously, even with us, because we feel that too, right? Like, I have to deny myself. I have to take off my cross. I have to follow Jesus all of the, all of the time. And we see that when Peter rebukes Jesus. But, but let's be real for a second. For most of us, we, chose, we, we choose religion and, and come to believe important things deeply because they're good for us, right? Like we say that every, it's a very simple and kind of a strange way of explaining the gospel, but, but, but we come to church and we love Jesus and we chose Jesus because ultimately we recognize that loving Jesus and following Jesus was better than not. And so that's kind of the, like that's kind of why we are here, but the dangerous part that Christianity seems to be getting more and more wrong every day is that, that it's starting to morph into this idea of a religion that kind of, man, it's going to make us feel good. I want a religion that makes me feel good. We like a faith that fits our comfortable recreational lifestyles. We tend to like a faith that we can participate when we choose to participate. Right? So you're like, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm not going to do love where you live, but that tri-tip thing you talked about on Friday night, I'm in for tri-tip. Right? Just to for all of you who are registered for tri-tip, I just want to make sure you're also registered for love where you live. Just a little, little extra Holy Spirit guilt on you there. 
But, but, but that's ultimately, we, we want to participate when we choose to participate. We want a faith that doesn't demand a whole lot from us. But beyond that, like we want to follow, on top of that, we want to follow a strong God. We want to follow a God who, who heals our illnesses, right? Provides for all the prosperity, guarantees security and safety for us, urges our sports teams toward victory, Right? Like that's the God that, that, that so much of us want, a God that's going to keep us happy and healthy and wise. So when we hear what Jesus is saying, we too often respond by thinking that suffering is not appealing. And I get it, because suffering is not appealing. So this is where we got to get very honest about Christian, Christianity. Because first of all, nobody's life is ever going to be pain-free. Nobody's life is ever going to be free from suffering, right? I've never met anybody who said, my life has been perfect, and I've never had any issues or any pain or any suffering. And if you have, it's coming, I promise. And so that's never going to be a thing. And beyond that, Christianity isn't about living an easier life. Living a life free from pain or believing in a God that we can turn on as kind of our, our personal Santa Claus to help solve life's problems and give us all we want. Right? The point, the point at which Jesus shares this teaching with his disciples, like I said, it's a pivot point in Mark's telling of the Jesus story. This is the pivot point where Jesus not only starts actively walking towards the cross, he starts actively showing us how we need to die as well. That's the turning point here. In Mark's gospel, we've been given life in the same way that Jesus was, was, was born and given life, at least in, in the flesh. And Jesus now demonstrates how we are to give it up and, and demonstrate how we're supposed to give it away. And I think for most of us, this is an idea that runs counter to everything that we want to believe. And it seems irrational. Like, well, God loves me enough. How come God, just, God doesn't want to see me happy all the time? How come God doesn't want me to win the Powerball? How come God doesn't want to cure whatever it is that I'm walking through right now? How can, God, how can you say that God is loving and doesn't give me everything on my wish list? Because your wish list doesn't end and God's not concerned about your comfort. And that's hard. Like, I get it. That, that, that's, that's hard. And Jesus makes it absolutely clear that God does not care about giving us all of those things. What God does care about are the matters of the heart. Jesus makes it clear that if you, have, if you, have a, if you want a deeply meaningful life that truly matters, you are going to, ha you're going to have to hand over your, your petty obsessions. You're going to have to hand over your mistaken priorities. I mean, quite frankly, following Jesus means living a very countercultural life and letting go of self, letting go of the intense borderline narcissistic focus on ourselves a self-interest and a focus that just runs rampant in our society right like you have to think more about loving than being loved more about working to understand than being understood more about forgiving than being forgiven there's a pastor, his name is Peter Marty. He describes the dilemma when asked to follow Jesus this way. He says, near as I can tell, we try to be a, a safe deposit box, or we try to safe deposit box our lives all we want and be very, very cautious about whom we even let into our lives. But this is not commendable living. In fact, according to Jesus, it's downright dangerous living. We'll lose our soul if we're not careful. 
Living a life that really matters in the name of Jesus will not allow room for clutching or hoarding or playing it safe. It asks instead for a less possessive way, a way that treats life more like a precious gift to be shared than a commodity to be stored up. Okay, so can I just defend people for a minute? Like, I didn't wake up and think, you know what, I'm going to step on toes this morning. I actually asked my wife about this. Should I share this? And she was like, you, you better be a Holy Spirit if it's, you're sharing it. Like, all right. So if you guys get mad at me, blame him. And I'm not trying to be rude or, or assume I know everything about everyone's life. But I, can I just say that as someone who is as, as tired of some of the stuff that goes on in California as anybody else here, I say that I am exhausted by the amount of people I know both in and out of the church that are leaving California. I'm exhausted by it. And don't get me wrong, I've looked at other states as well. I've been on Zillow and looked up properties that I can't afford as well, right? Because I'm like, hey, no property tax. I can pay more money towards that house. Like, I've looked. I get it. And I'm not saying either that, like, if you move out of state, like, man, that's a terrible thing. But I am saying we are a community. And I would venture to say if God does not call you out of state, you're going against God's will. California needs Jesus badly. Very, very badly. And if done... If done in, in the wrong way, if people leave in the wrong way, with the wrong motives, not only is it not healthy, it's ultimately sinful. A lot of people are leaving California for, for no other reason than it's no longer comfortable for them to live here. I get it. Like, the taxes are terrible. The water shortages are terrible. The wildfires are terrible. The high-speed rail is a disaster. Brian, welcome to California, man. <laughs> and, I, and I get it, and all these things are frustrating, and all these things have made many people's lives in California worse. But can I just offer you this? If you believe for one minute that your comfort in where you live is more important than the work that you have been called to do in your city and in your state, you're both sadly mistaken and also may be living for yourself rather than for Jesus who went to the cross for you who died a death that he didn't earn, not so you could be comfortable, but so he could make, so you can make his name known wherever you may find yourself. And for the vast majority of us, it's in the sunny, balmy, very highly taxed state of California. Where politicians don't seem to be doing their jobs, where homeless population continues to creep, creep up, where inflation seems to be through the roof, where I'm excited when I can afford more than a quarter of a tank of gas, this wonderful state that we live in needs to know Jesus just as desperately as anywhere else. But we care more about our comfort than people knowing Jesus. The life that has been packaged and continues to be packaged and sold to us in this culture is not real life. And we need to die to those illusions if we want to live the abundant life that God has called us to. But it's comfort, right? Like, I get it. I want to go home and be comfortable. Like, at the end of the day, I want to go home and I want to be able to relax. Like, I want to jump in the pool with my kids. I'm not saying those things are bad. But when that's your priority, when you're seeking creature comforts above everything else, when you're seeking creature comforts above glorifying God, 
when you're seeking out all of those things, that's when it becomes sinful. Like, I get it. And then we go home and like we want to be comfortable and so we're like, oh, let's turn on the TV and HGTV inevitably comes on, at least in my home. And then you realize you're not as comfortable as you want to be, right? Because everybody's house is nicer than yours, at least at the end of the show. You're like, man, if I could just be that more, if I could just get to that, then I'll be comfortable. Then I'll be, I'll be satisfied. Jesus talks about like this isn't like, like satis- satisfaction, this idea of not being, like this isn't something we can buy or earn or anything like that. It's like love and grace and it's a gift that needs to be given away. Our lives are a gift that needs to be given away in the deep truth Jesus is trying to tell us. A truth many people know so well is that only when you give your life away for the sake of others, only through serving, through loving, through caring for others, do you really discover life, life that truly matters, not in comfort. And so when we're finally able to let go of the ego, the cult of self, that part of ourselves that believes that, that we're in charge or self-sufficient, we, try, we finally begin to live a life that truly matters. Like that's when it happens, and I get it. And we don't do it because dying to self is painful. It's hard. It's exhausting. But it allows us to be open to whole new views of like abundant life when we're able to let go of self, to let go of worry, to let go of anxiety, to let go of our need for control, to let go of all those things that hold us captive. When we truly die to self, we discover that God is actually already there waiting for us walking with us, holding us, leading us. It's then that we discover that's what the cross actually means. That's what dying to yourself actually means. It's the cross that gives us life, life that truly matters. And we discover the cross means loving and serving others in a world, oftentimes where we might not even be loved in the first place. So as Jesus begins his relentless march to the cross, he challenges every single person with him to follow him in the same way that he challenges us today to follow him. Jesus demands a decision from everybody. Will you follow me where I'm going? Will we follow this man to the place where he is going? And the challenge to lose our lives for the sake of Jesus, man, it, it, it conflicts with modern values. Preservation of comfort, man, it's a massive industry. Modern medicine, proper diet, exercise, all those things extend your life. The things that Jeff tells me to do all of the time. Cosmetics, plastic surgeons, preserve our appearance. Funeral directors continue that work even after death, as a matter of fact. And it's hard to hear Jesus call to lose our lives for his sake. I mean, there are people who around the world are literally dying for their faith. You know, there's been more martyrs in the 21st century than in the first century. More martyrs in the 21st century, more than the entire first century combined. And the challenges that most of us face seem trivial in comparison to martyrdom. But workplaces are inhospitable to Christian witness. Games are scheduled on Sunday morning, so people have to choose between Jesus and sports. People label Christians as bigots. Like, and I get it. They're serious. I'm not trying to make light of these issues because they're serious issues, things that we have to work out as a culture. 
but they fall far short of the kind of persecution that Christians have endured for centuries and are still enduring even today. And I know a lot of us would be willing to say, man, I, I, will, I will die for Jesus, right? Like that's the type of faith that we want to have. And it sounds great coming out of our mouths. It always does. Like, oh yeah, I would, go to, uh, I would die for Jesus. If Jesus was around today, I wouldn't have abandoned him at the cross. Jesus was like, oh yeah, you want me to take up my cross? I got it on my shoulder already, let's go. And we love to, to, to say those things. The problem is we just find it difficult to even live for them though. Forget about death. So I'll, I'll end with this. Jesus gives us a threefold idea on what we need to do for discipleship. Three things. He says, one, deny yourself. That's step one. Deny yourself. Two, take up your cross. And three, follow Jesus. That's it. That's discipleship. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. And man, so many of us love that verse as well, right? We're like, oh man, get a tattoo of it on my forearm. Put a sign up in my office. Put it over my door next to the one that says, God bless this mess, right? And we love, like, we love that idea. And so often we think we're in step three, that we're at the follow Jesus part. That we're like, you know what? I've denied myself. I've, I've died to myself. Yeah, my cross is on my shoulder. I got the back pain to prove it. And now I'm following Jesus. The reality is, is most of us haven't made it past step one. And that's hard. Like, I, I, it's hard we can't get beyond this pride of self, this gratification, like, like I'm going to glorify myself. And so if, we, if we're going to make some headway in this wonderful place that we call the Central Valley, that's smack dab in the middle of California, church, we've got some denying to do, and we've got some following to partake in. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that's a hard word. And, and we, we, our desire is comfort. We always want to take the path of least resistance. Because it's easier. But God, we recognize that's not what you've called us to. And Father, don't get me wrong, I know you've called us to a life of peace and you've called us to a, I mean, you've created everything around us to be able to enjoy and I'm not trying to vilify vacation. But God, I, I do want us to do our best to, to put to death the things that we are elevating above you for the sake of our comfort. And so for just a second, in here, whether you're watching online, whatever, I just, in the quietness of this place, Father, I would ask that the Holy Spirit would just shine a light on those things where we are seeking comfort rather than your son. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. And I pray that we would look at him and not look away. And with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I know there are people in here who have not yet said yes to Jesus, who have not yet said yes to denying themselves, 
taking up their cross and following him. So if that's you this morning and you want to make that profession of faith, I would encourage you to pray along with me. Simply say this, say, Father A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I know I fall short. I know I seek comfort rather than honoring you. But B, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me and take care of all of those sins. And C, I would choose to follow you every single day. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.